Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Dr. Benjamin Williams. We are still in the season of Easter. When we remember and reflect on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for the world and what it means for each one of us. I want to continue thinking in that vein with today's sermon, The Final Enemy. Every society has its mythology. Our mythology comprises the stories and the concepts we tell ourselves to explain and to give meaning to our lives. You know, some of them say something about our national history, uh, or my family, myself, or ultimate issues like love, life, death. Some might be historically true, some humanly true, some purely figurative, but they reveal something about our national or our personal character. Throughout our history, America has entertained many mythologies as the stories we tell adapt to reflect our changing consciousness. In the last 50 years, American cultural mythology has been changing radically. Now, there's been an intentional effort to rewrite our national history with a different ideological twist. But our cultural mythology involves far more than our interpretation of our national history. It has to do with how we understand our lives, our purpose, our place in the world, and what happens after this life. And few things have changed as much as our mythology of death. Until recently, the American mythology of death has been kind of an uneasy blend between biblical theology and Greek notions of the immortality of the soul. We'd say death might be inevitable, but is no welcome guest a dark figure, a grim reaper, a thief who invades your home to steal your loved ones. If someone was suffering, we might say death was a blessed release, but even so, it was merely the lesser of two evils. Still not good. But in the last 40 years, through the work of death researcher Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the hospice movement that she inspired, the mythology of death has changed. Death is our friend. It's a part of the whole circle of life, like the changing seasons, a transition into a new existence, just a new phase of life. The process of dying Okay, it might not be pleasant, but then the process of birth is also filled with pushing and pressure and pain until all that's forgotten 
in the joy of a new creature. In the same way, we're told, in death, the immortal soul is squeezed out of the body and is born into a new world of light and peacefulness. The friendly death is no respecter of persons, but in a happy way. Even Jody Arias, perhaps you remember, convicted of first-degree murder for brutally stabbing her ex-boyfriend 27 times and then shooting him in the head to make sure, said on network news that she would rather get the death penalty than have to spend her life in prison. If executed, she's being freed into a better, happier place, she said. Death is the ultimate freedom. No judgment, no accountability, no possibility of eternal punishment. Death, it's only our midwife into a better life, even for an immoral monster. Welcome to the friendly death. It's a warm and reassuring picture, but it's full of problems. Uh, One, the matter of immortal souls. Are we to assume that souls are immortal by virtue of, well, simply being souls? Where do they come from? How did they get there? Is there something in the parents' DNA that creates souls? And at what point do fetuses have such a soul? When does it become immortal? At the moment of conception or viability or birth? And what ramifications might that have for our culture and our law at large? Or two, the matter of justice in the universe. If all death is friendly and simply part of life and the afterlife happy for everyone, what about accountability? Accountability for the cruel. What about justice? Justice for the victims. Will the Nazi Holocaust and the Stalinist gulags go unavenged? And then third, there's the kindliness of death itself. If death is such a friend, why do the dying instinctively and naturally struggle to survive another day, another hour, another breath, another heartbeat? You see, the friendliness of death comforts not the dying, but the survivors, to make us feel better and to avoid the sharper stings of grief. It is, well, it's convenient. And American culture has become, if nothing else, all about personal convenience. The biblical understanding of death is, I think, far more honest We did not and do not give ourselves life, but rather life is a gift, a gift at conception, 
And it's not something that adheres to the nature of souls themselves. Life is also a good worth protecting and fighting for and should not be let go of flippantly or lightly. And while life might have its rhythms, it's not an endless circle. But like human history at large, it moves from point A to point B. It is linear. And life after death, it too is a gift of God. The Bible does not teach the immortality of souls. It teaches resurrection. It does not teach the friendliness of death. Death is our enemy, the final enemy. The first century world, it encompassed cultures as diverse as the Greeks, the Romans, the Gauls, the Egyptians, and of course all kinds of Jews. Each folk culture thought, well, differently. And as the Christian gospel moved out of its Jewish cradle into the broader Hellenistic world, its radically new message of a crucified Savior raised from the dead ran head-to-head with different mythologies of death and life after death. Should not surprise us that the new believers might have trouble understanding what the resurrection of Jesus means for us and for the afterlife. The Apostle Paul preached in Thessalonica late in the 40s. He had good success among the Gentile God-fearers until unrest and rioting by his enemies forced him to leave. When he got down to Athens, he sent Timothy back to check on the new believers and how they were faring under persecution. Relieved by Timothy's report, Paul then wrote to the Thessalonians when he arrived in Corinth around 50 A.D. It's the first of his letters that we have in the New Testament. The new believers are holding up, but they're troubled about one thing. Some of them have died since Paul left, possibly victims of persecution, And they're worried, what will happen with the dead? They weren't ready for that. Will they miss out on the return of Christ and the coming kingdom? Even be lost for good? Let's read Paul's answer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have fallen asleep, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
For this we declare to you by a word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul speaks of those who have died. He prefers the term fallen asleep, which is for him more than just a euphemism, a way of talking indirectly about uncomfortable topics. You see, to Paul, the physically dead are still spiritually alive, waiting for their day of accountability and redemption, but are not conscious of their waiting. As far as they're concerned, eons can pass in what seemed merely the blink of an eye. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, as we profess it in the Apostles' Creed, are founded, Paul tells us, not on any intrinsic immortality of the soul, but on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead on that first Easter morning. Remember, as Paul writes these words, it's been less than 20 years since that day Because Jesus died and was raised to new life again by the power of God, so too those who belong to Jesus who die will be raised to new life as well. His resurrection is the pattern, the template, the precedent for all those who follow him. The one who will accomplish this is once more God the Father. This time, he will raise the dead through Christ. That is, just as Jesus was raised by the Father, if you are in Christ, you'll be raised with him. It's like when you ride on a bus. You know, where the bus goes, that's where you're going to, because you're in the bus. So if you are in Christ, you will go where Christ has gone and where Christ is going because you are in the bus. You are in Christ. This resurrection of the saints, Paul tells us, will coincide with the return of Jesus to earth. Not as an infant or mere human again, but as an enthroned son of man, the Lord and the Master. Here, here Paul adapts the imagery of a state visit by a diplomat or a king or sultan. There was a set protocol. As the dignitary and his retinue approach the city, the order is given for the protocol to commence. A herald rides forward and calls to the watchman to open the gates. Then a trumpet is blown to alert the residents, and at this, 
the people stream out to line the road and welcome and then fall in behind him to escort him into the city. One day, Paul is saying, King Jesus will arrive, escorted by hosts of angels. He'll give the order, the archangel will call, the trumpet will sound, and the saints, both dead and alive, will go forth to greet him. Not on the road, since, of course, he's coming from heaven, but, logically, in the clouds. Now, pagan epitaphs talk about the dead being snatched away by death. That's not a good thing. Paul turns this on on its head. He says, you and I will be snatched away, not by death, but by life, caught up to Christ. Now, many Christians call this the rapture. And they tell us Jesus is coming, well, kind of on a, on a flyby, years before the end, to spirit believers away to heaven. We're going to look at this in a moment. But is Jesus really snatching up his own here to take them away to heaven? Well, if Paul's state visit imagery is consistent at all, then no. Jesus comes to lay claim to the earth, to bring it under complete subjection and establish the kingdom of God where God's will is done as perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. We are snatched up to meet him and then accompany him to his earthly realm. Now, Paul wrote to Thessalonica from Corinth. And there's some irony in this, because we learn later that the Corinthians were even more confused about death and resurrection than the Thessalonians were. About three or four years later, Paul has to write to the Corinthians then from Ephesus to set them right about the resurrection of the dead and the return of Christ. Now, some of the Corinthians had been saying there is no resurrection of the dead. Now, not that they thought Jesus had not been raised from the dead. Paul can pretty well assume that they know and believe that Jesus was raised on Easter. They just didn't think the rest of the dead would be raised. We're not sure what they did think, but they clearly did not think the rest of the dead would be raised. Jesus' resurrection, okay, yes. Everybody else, no. So Paul has to explain to them, and he spends most of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians pointing out the connection or explaining the connection between Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection of believers. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a human being, 
The resurrection of the dead also came through a human being. That is, for as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ, but each in its own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ, and then comes the end, that is the consummation is the word there, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, Paul's first point is that there is a direct connection between what happens to Jesus and what happens to you and me. Like our death and his death are interconnected. So also his new life and our new life are inseparable. Jesus is the first fruits. That means he represents the whole. By the way, you and I are the whole. Jesus' resurrection is what, well, you might call it God's promissory note, his guarantee of what he has purposed for you. No, you were not raised with Christ already, not yet, at least not literally, because there is a timetable, and that is an order to things. First, Jesus is raised from the dead. That's already happened. And then when he returns, those who belong to him will be raised too. Now, in the meantime, Paul says, Christ is reigning now. He's, he's a ruler until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. You see, the present time is a time of conquest as Jesus enforces the victory of his cross and his resurrection over all the powers that would resist God and enslave humanity. Like oh, sin, devil, oppression, death. When Christ returns, the last enemies will fall and the consummated kingdom will be turned over to God the Father. Sin was, of course, decisively defeated by Christ on the cross. But notice that the last, the greatest enemy, is not the devil, not the Antichrist, not the beast, or anything like that. The final enemy is death. When Jesus returns... He will annihilate death. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means is the dead, well, they can't stay dead, can they? I mean, if there is no death, so the dead have to live again. I mean, what other options are there? The elimination of death and the resurrection of the dead are one and the same triumph of Christ. Paul puts this into 
a grand scenario just a few verses later. Look, please, down at verses 51 and 52. We're still in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul says, listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. This is consistent with what Paul told the Thessalonians. There he calls it a word of the Lord. Here it's a prophetic mystery, meaning a prophetic word. But clearly it's the same order of events. The Thessalonians, well, they were more worried about what would happen with the dead. The Corinthians, well, they apparently expected that they might just, you know, walk into the kingdom as they are with these earthly physical bodies. You see, Paul has to explain to them that flesh and blood will not inherit the, the kingdom of God, so that the living will also have to be changed into heavenly bodies. So evidently, that was a problem for the Corinthians. And what Paul describes is, again, the great state visit. Jesus approaches as the conquering hero. The trumpet signal goes out. The dead are raised to join their Savior. And then the living, transformed into spiritual bodies as well, come forth to greet him and accompany him. Now, this is, if we take Paul seriously as he describes it, it's not something that happens, oh, at the beginning or at the middle of some seven-year end time. He says it's the end, and the end is, well, the end. It is the last trumpet, and death is the final enemy to be annihilated as the dead are raised and the living are transformed, never to die. The day will come when death will be no more and we will be beyond death because Jesus Christ has given us life. And because the Son of God is forever, his life is eternal. And the resurrection life he gives you can and will never end. But I do want you to notice one thing more. Paul knows that his image of Jesus' state visit is itself ultimately only a symbol. It's a picture as imperfect and incomplete as our understanding and our language. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. This is not some drawn-out process as earthly receptions are drawn out. You're not going to have this long trumpet blast. He says it's in a moment, in the twinkling of eye. It's instantaneous, a flash, a blink of the eye. You see, here the pictures and the symbols are for a moment set aside. Everything is the way you know it, then blink, 
and everything's utterly different. Jesus Christ is there. The saints are raised to a new existence, and you too are transformed. Wow, faster than the snap of a finger. Now, you and I still die for the time being. Jesus went to the cross to break the stranglehold of sin and its consequences, including death, and he took the curse for you. But his sacrifice complete, God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand as the regent and plenipotentiary. Now Christ reigns until all of his enemies and ours are vanquished. Sin, devil, injustice, oppression, on and on, all will be overcome by the power of Christ. And then at the very last, death itself will die. The final enemy will be not just beaten, for he was beaten already when Jesus was raised, but he will be utterly wiped out. No more death, and the dead cannot remain dead, but can and must live again. See, death is swallowed up in everlasting life, and you and I, we will rise once more, body and soul. I cannot comfort someone who has no hope in Christ. I cannot deceive them with reassurances that, oh, their soul is immortal, it's okay, their death is their friend who comes to release them, that their existence after death will be better and happier than their earthly existence was. Not if someone has no hope in Christ. I cannot say that. I know only the hope that you and I have in and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ because he was raised and lives forever in him, in him, you and I will be raised and live forever too. Upon death, we will wait. Paul says sleep, that is with suspended consciousness, as we wait for the act of God through Christ that will call us forth from the grave and reconstitute us as a redeemed and glorified creature to stand gratefully between, before our Savior and our Master in praise and wonder. And death, that final enemy, will be no more forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.